This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Coming up this hour, billions in Medicaid funds for people with disabilities are on hold. We'll dig into what's behind the delay and what it means for those who desperately need the federal money. Plus, a new exhibit at UIC honors the life and legacy of Rudy Lozano, a community organizer from the southwest side who was murdered back in 1983. But first, today marks the second anniversary of Illinoisans waking up to a new pandemic reality. The statewide stay-at-home order to curb the spread of COVID-19. It went into effect on March 21st, 2020. Since then, the pandemic has taken many twists and turns, and too many people have died and experienced incredible losses. Some psychologists say that we will be processing and analyzing the mental and physical effects of these two years for decades to come. So today, we take a moment to reflect on what we've learned these past two years and what we might want to take with us moving forward in our personal lives and as a society. Joining us in these reflections is Jonathan Molesic, author of The End of Burnout, Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. Welcome back, John. It's great to be back. What do you remember from the first few days of the stay-at-home order in your state? Yeah, I, I live in Texas, and I remember confusion, fear, uh, and just uncertainty about what might happen next. I, I can recall uh, thinking, okay, well, two or three weeks, and uh, you know, we'll kind of lock down, and, and things will will be fine again. But as we now know, uh, there's just been a total upheaval in our society, which we're still dealing with. Yeah, there was so much confusion, John. I remember, for me, it felt strange at the time for obvious reasons. But at work, the majority of my colleagues back then, they were sent home. And given my role, I was actually asked to continue working from the office. So that was strange for me, because all of a sudden, it was like, you snap your fingers, and then we became a ghost town. And it reminds me right now of, of the many essential workers among us who really haven't been able to put in-person work on pause the entire time. Right. And I think that that's one of the big lessons that we have hopefully uh, taken away. And you know, like you said, it will take years and perhaps decades to make sense of what has happened prior to the pandemic. Uh, you know, if you had asked people, you know, what, who are the most important workers, right? Um, I think that we had this sense in American society that, first of all, if you have a job, then you count. If you don't, then you don't count. And I think that we tended to value people based on how much they earned or how much education their work required. And very quickly, all those assumptions were turned upside down. Yeah. Uh, 20 million people lost their jobs almost literally overnight, and they didn't lose their dignity as human beings. They mattered to our society just as much as they did before. And suddenly it was the people who are often earning lower wages, sometimes minimum wage or sub-minimum wage, mm -hmm. who we depended on the most. And these are the workers that we absolutely the rest of us cannot do without. You know, some listeners might be wondering why it's even worthwhile for us to, to spend time thinking about lessons that we learned. It's been such a tragic time, right? But how would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has been a tragic time. And the most important fact that 
has occurred over the last two years is the loss of nearly a million lives. And, you know, but that, uh, in, in addition, you know, there, there have been so many other losses uh, that we've endured, um, you know, losses of uh, 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 certainty about, you know, what, what things may look like in the next week or so on. I mean, yeah. you know, so many uh, aspects of our daily lives changed not just once, but multiple times. And yeah, I mean, the, the fact is that we who have survived still need to go ahead. And, yeah. and, you know, this, so many of our, our assumptions were, were upended in, in a way like an unintentional society wide experiment and you know there there are going to be takeaways so that we can build a, a better society right. on the other side of this yeah and in this conversation we we do want to focus on those those takeaways john um further uh, later in the program we will talk about uh the losses uh, that we've endured, as you, you brought up, nearly a million people have lost their lives. And so we'll be joined by uh, infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Teramina, and we'll, where we'll sort of uh, dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but I, I want to play a little clip for you here. Uh, Tal Ben-Shahar is a, a writer and former professor of happiness studies. And he says this time has made us really ask questions like, what do we really want? And how do we live a deliberate life? So here's a clip of some reflections from Reset producers. My name's Nareda and I'm a producer on Reset. I think like many people, working from home has just brought me closer to my dog, Borrega. I think we've both developed separation anxiety. I've just gotten so used to being able to take her on long walks, you know, during my lunch break or spending time with her when I'm stressed. So fingers crossed for a hybrid work schedule. My name is Linnea. I'm a producer on the show. And before the pandemic, my partner and I never had time to cook together. He's a chef and we didn't have days off in common. And the last thing we wanted to do after one of his long shifts working in a kitchen was spend more time in a kitchen cooking. Um, but we both love food so much. So this was something we had always wanted to make time for, but we just couldn't get around to it. And so with the stay at home order and not being able to go anywhere, we finally had the time to spend in the kitchen getting creative. And we made so many memorable, delicious meals. And I want to make sure that we continue to make time to do that. I'm Claire and I'm a freelance producer at Reset. My biggest lesson from the pandemic is that family and friends in my community is not a secondary priority, but it is the main priority. When the lockdown started, I was living hundreds of miles away from most of the people I cared about. I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico and had moved there for a job. And I realized that no matter how great a place is or how great an opportunity is, it wasn't gonna be enough for me if I wasn't there to spend time with the people I loved and take care of the people I loved. So over the course of the pandemic, I moved back closer to home and I have not regretted it since. John, after listening to that, uh, tell us your thoughts on, on how to live a deliberate life. Yeah, I mean, I think about, and I, I loved hearing those reflections, and I think about the 
those first weeks of the pandemic, you know, when, when the first weeks of the shutdowns in any case, when, um, you know, when so many things, uh, so many of our assumptions shifted and it's, it was an incredibly scary time, but as those reflections suggested, it was also a time for people to, you know, reset, uh, following, you know, the name of the show, mm-hmm. um, to reset some of their, their expectations. I mean, I think that that period early in the pandemic, I, I think we need to keep reflecting on it. Um, as scary as that may be, because in terms of our work lives, it opened up so many possibilities that we we didn't even have a chance to think about. So, you know, 20 million people lost their jobs and most of them were eligible for an unprecedented level of unemployment insurance afterwards. So they were able to have a living wage without having to go to work. Yeah. And that's a massive collective experience that if we continue to reflect on it, that can be the basis of reorganizing the role that work plays in our lives. Because like we did it, we were able to have a society where we were not breaking our backs, uh, laboring and people were you know, able to provide for themselves and their families. And, you know, I wonder what of that can be recovered in a time, hopefully, post-pandemic. Yeah. And and as you think of of all the things that we've learned about work over these past two years, what do you think it's important for us to even begin holding on to? I think that the biggest keyword for me is the idea of dignity. You know, as I, I mentioned before, the standard... American belief uh, is that you have dignity if you have a job. If you don't have a job, then you're kind of, you know, a questionable person uh, in society. And, you know, what we learned right away is that people lost their jobs, they did not lose their dignity, and we actually rearranged our society in order to protect really vulnerable people, people who were, you know, if they, uh, if they caught the virus were in real danger. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a recognition of their dignity, you know, the dignity of those vulnerable people. Um, we've done it. We have, <laughs> we, we had a temporary, uh, society where the dignity of the most vulnerable was the most important thing that we cared about. And that is something that, again, I think that we can carry forward. Mm -hmm. What have we learned about who and and what we value in our society? Well, uh, I think that, you know, we learned, you know, once again, that we had valued people uh, based on their economic productivity. And we saw uh, that 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 isn't always true. Um, Yeah that, you know, it's possible to value people based on some other criteria. What would you say, John, to to those listening who maybe felt like they weren't able to to make certain adjustments to their lives or to their priorities during this time? Right. Well, I think that the, in in particular, the people who were not able to, well, they may have had to make adjustments, but, you know, things got even more intense. I think about, you know, frontline workers, 
Uh, I think about a lot of teachers. I think about, um, you know, people who work in, uh, you know, food retail or people who work all along the supply chain. Um, their jobs became more dangerous and, and intense. And any adjustments they made were to deal with that fact. I think that we have seen exactly how much our society depends on their labor and they deserve so much more mm -hmm. uh, than they had been getting for their labor prior to the pandemic. Uh, you know, these are workers who deserve much higher wages. They deserve better conditions. They deserve to have a voice in what their conditions are like. Um, because down the road, uh, you know, we could be in, in real trouble uh, if, for instance, there's a mass quit of nurses or, or something like that. And we see the continuing problems along the supply chain, I think partly because those workers are still not valued in the way that they, they rightly deserve. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're marking two years since Governor Pritzker put the state on a stay-at-home order to help Illinoisans curb the spread of COVID-19. And we're reflecting on the big and small adjustments that we've had to make individually, also as a society, and, and which of them are likely here to stay. Our guest is author John Malesic, and you can join the conversation by calling us at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, 866-915-WBEZ. John, I want to go back to something you, you talked about a little earlier, you know, just our awareness of folks who um, haven't been able to do so well with with this with this virus. Um, a piece that you wrote in the New York Times last fall includes a, a story about your friend. Uh, she's an academic. Uh, she loved her life. She loved her work. And then she developed a debilitating illness that sort of changed her ability to have as much productive output. So talk to us about how you think we've become more aware of people with disabilities and people who are immunocompromised through the course of this pandemic. Yeah, and I, I think about that in, in context of my part-time work as a college instructor. Uh, you know, right away, two years ago, my class shifted entirely online, and then we had a year where things were kind of hybrid, and that was kind of unsatisfying to everyone. And, and we've been in person this past year. And there, there remain students who are hesitant to go back to fully in person with, uh, you know, with the, the continuing threat of the virus. And, you know, those students have gotten quite a bit of accommodation. Uh, I think that faculty uh, and fellow students are a bit more sensitive to the fact that not everyone is fully comfortable um, or, or able to participate in the, the fully in-person uh, way of, of holding a class. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that there is a greater awareness uh, of disability and, and chronic illness uh, yeah. to, and to try to design our, our classes and other uh, other areas of our lives in a way that both allows, uh, you know, immunocompromised people and others to fully participate, um, you know, and, and have a, a good experience for everyone. 
You know, John, there were big debates over the last few years about how we work, how we school, how we think about the, the collective versus individual responsibility. So with that in mind, were there lessons that you think we did not quite learn? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I mean, I think that the yeah, it I guess I would say that, you know, the lessons like I, I talked about the lesson of dignity earlier. Mm-hmm. And on, on one level, I think that we, we learned it. I don't know that it's been entirely internalized yet. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lesson that I hope we can continue working on in the coming years would be how we approach people who are doing their jobs. So, you know, whether the, whether we are the customer or the, the client or the patient or the student or the passenger or something like that, mm-hmm. recognizing that those, you know, and of course, the, those things are flipped around. Like most of us are workers who, who deal with the public, too. And, you know, it's what's so disturbing over the last several months is the rise in angry customers and passengers and patients lashing out at people who are trying to do their jobs. And, you know, that puts an incredible burden on them. I I hope that one thing we can try to continue doing better at in the coming years is a little bit more respect for uh, others doing their jobs, just as we would hope to receive that respect when we are doing our jobs. Yeah. Your advice for, for those listening who might feel overwhelmed or continue to struggle with the pandemic and, and all that's come with it? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, you know, continue talking to people honestly, you know, talk to your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors uh, about about your experience, about your expectations uh, for society and, you know, particularly uh, from your job. Um have those expecta- expecta- expectations changed um, and how how might we be able to organize and rearrange society so that more of those expectations can be fulfilled? What are you personally keeping in mind as we move forward and, and really live with this thing? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I'm I'm trying to you know i'm i'm trying to um maintain that kind of compassion for others around me um and i admit you know i i probably preach uh compassion better than i practice it in my day-to-day life um and you know try to recognize that i don't necessarily know what you know the next person uh, may have endured or may be going through and you know Cutting them a bit of slack uh, and, and you know, giving them a bit more compassion is uh, probably it's better to err on that side than the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, to that end, um, you also, as, as we've mentioned, you write about burnout uh, specifically as it pertains to work. What do you think about the whole notion of covid fatigue? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's quite real. Um, yeah, the way that I talk about burnout is primarily in relation to our work, um, but I think that 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 sense of fatigue of, of being unable to do a lot of the normal things that sustain our society and sustain our you know mental health 
uh, it it does take a toll and uh, it's after two years i think it's hard to tell what what's covid fatigue and what is you know what is something else um i suspect that a lot of our our mental health is worn away very very gradually almost imperceptibly um and again it'll it'll probably take a while to you know to to get back to full strength before we go let's jump to the phone lines and hear from matt who's been standing by hey matt welcome to reset there thanks for having me how are you thinking about two years post lockdown well um you know it, it has really taken a toll and you know, not just that, but um, COVID fatigue and um, work burnout has been a a huge part of it. Yeah. Are you celebrating something today? Uh, yeah, I'm celebrating seven months of sobriety today. Oh, congratulations. That's great. Well, thank you. So you made that decision, obviously, during a pandemic. That must have been uh, challenging. Um. Well, it's kind of a dual-edged sword. Um, I think for the first almost year and a half of the pandemic, you know, I'm sheltering in place and doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but um, also um, drinking and using. And Yeah. Um, but not anymore. No. Happy seven months. Appreciate your call. Thank Thanks you. for sharing that story, Matt. We've been speaking with Jonathan Malesic, who's author of The End of Burnout, Why Work Drains Us and How to Build Better Lives. John, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.